Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Dr. Gerard Brown back to the podcast to talk with us about the basics of executive functioning. Today, we will discuss how parents can help their autistic child learn skills like paying attention, interpreting information, organizing, and planning. These are important skills that will help an individual throughout their entire life. Gerard is a professor, trainer, and consultant with considerable experience working with individuals with developmental delays like autism. Gerard finds that executive functioning or executive dysfunctioning is a term that all parents should know. We are excited to learn more from Gerard's extensive experience. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Well, it, it is nice to have you back and maybe that's where we can start. So you can give us a little bit of a catch up. So it's been a few months since you came on to talk about the criminal justice system. Any, any new ongoings, anything fun happening in the world of Gerard Brown? Doing a lot of trainings on some of the topics that we've been talking about and really trying to dig deep into the weeds because it is an issue for some individuals on the spectrum and just trying to get as much information out there as possible to caregivers and professionals and the more equipped they are with some of this information, hopefully it'll help them make some more informed decisions, especially when they start entering adulthood unfortunately some individuals on the spectrum will come into contact with the criminal justice system or mental health arenas so as much information we can get out to those professionals as possible i think definitely better outcomes can result and at the core of some of the things we spoke about last time i really think executive function really pairs nicely with that and it can really relate to almost any topic that we're going to be talking about today one of the things that kind of keeps people from being able to succeed or being able to establish relationships or have a way of integrating in the community around them is not having these executive function skills. But maybe we start broader than that and you just give us a little bit of, a, of an example. Tell us what are executive functioning skills and how do they interact with the environment around you? So if you really dig into this research literature, Quite a few authors describe this as the CEO of the brain. So it is the boss of the brain. And it really does guide adaptive human functioning. So when you hear me talk about adaptive functioning today, just think of it as independent living skills, social responsibility, how someone manages a checkbook, how someone gets from point A to point B, taking medications as prescribed, finding a job, holding a job, a lot of the things we'll talk about today relate to social competence. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the topic of theory of mind, but executive function and theory of mind develop at the same time. And oftentimes, if one isn't working properly, the other one isn't working properly. And we know from the research, a core deficit in persons with autism is theory of mind. So executive function, really think of it as kind of more of a multifaceted, multidimensional, really like neurocognitive process. And under that umbrella, there's a number of different domains of functioning. Today, we'll talk maybe a little bit about working memory, cognitive flexibility, 
and inhibition. Those are kind of the big three, but there are a number of other domains. So if someone has poor executive function, really they're probably going to have some a difficult time regulating their thoughts, behaviors, emotions in some cases. It can really get in the way of decision-making, problem solving, how one solves conflict, but also how someone reads social cues. People with lower levels of executive function may be more likely to be gullible and talked into doing things. So it can really impact social decision-making, poor social behavior. So there's a lot of different things to think about. And I can go a lot deeper into any of those topics if you'd like. Yeah, and, and we definitely will venture into a lot of these topics because I think what you're saying is that if you don't set up that core foundation and you don't establish those skills and keep building on your executive functioning skills, that could really hinder your chance to being successful in anything you want to do with life. So I'd like to start at the beginning, if we can, Gerard. It's just like most development is that you need that foundation. You need that really strong base. So as a child, and as somebody who's helping children with their development, where are you starting with executive functioning? How are you helping them to get a base built on those core skills? You bet. So I think we need to even back it up before that. What happens in utero, what was going on during pregnancy can have a huge impact. Prenatal alcohol or drug exposure can absolutely impact executive functioning capabilities. If the mother was pregnant, and going through a high level of trauma, adversity, hardship, domestic violence, poverty, not having good prenatal care, maybe even dealing with maternal diabetes, obesity, all of those things can impact that developing brain in utero, which then can contribute to executive functioning impairments. So when the child's born and what happens in that environment obviously has a lot to do with it. So any type of trauma exposure can negatively impact that. So what do we do about it? Ensuring good nutrition, good sleep, parents who are well-regulated. So really being aware of like co-regulation. So modeling behaviors to the child, managing stress, implementing positive activities that can help with brain development, reading, writing, playing with other kids, getting connected to positive support groups, engaging in all types of basic common sense parenting practices that are really rooted in attachment-based approaches. So parents who are warm and kind and empathetic and considerate, all of those factors can absolutely lead to improved brain development and improved executive functioning capability. So a lot of it's common sense, but it's definitely a good reminder that what you do obviously makes a huge impact. Who that child associates with, what they eat, how much they sleep, what they watch on TV. Do they watch too much TV? Too much television viewing has been shown to reduce executive function. Depression has been shown to impact that, not just in the child, but if mom or dad or one of the caregivers is dealing with some sort of mental health challenge, that can have a negative impact. If there's any chaos going on in the home or any other type of unhealthy living practices, all of those factors need to be taken into account. We know a lot of people on the autism spectrum are dealing with sensory processing issues. 
just the very nature of becoming overloaded and experiencing sensory overload can impact executive function. If someone's dealing with a high level of anxiety or worry or fear, that can absolutely impact executive function. If that child is dealing with childhood obesity or childhood insomnia or sleep breathing related problems, all of those factors can impact that as well. So I just point out a few of those things. If you're noticing any red flag indicators or if your child's dealing with any of those factors or situations, it's probably good to consult with a healthcare provider and make sure to address those issues because all of those factors can really impact that child throughout the lifespan. So how much of this, Gerard, is a, is a chicken and an egg sort of situation? Because, I mean, you mentioned sleep, which a lot of children uh, who identify as autistic is sleep is a challenge. You mentioned nutrition, diet, and being able to have a full, or a full diet as far as being able to get nutrition into your body, being able to uh, be desensitized to different textures of foods, exposed to more foods is a challenge for a lot of autistics. Regulation, another thing. So the environment and the routine, how much of this is almost like a, a cyclical process that we need to really look at the treatment being about creating these chances for executive functioning to grow so that you don't end up repeating the wheel and end up almost like that hamster running in place because you know my problem is I'm not getting sleep. I don't have a way to change my sleep. My problem is, is that I need better nutrition, but I can't get my child to intake different types of food. So how much of this is, is us really refocusing treatment around the right things at an early age? I think it's a, a huge factor, and I do think exploring this through that multidisciplinary lens, it's probably not just one professional with one expertise who's going to be able to tackle this because you did mention, yeah, the overwhelming majority of people with autism deal with sleep-related problems. A very high percentage have digestive health issues, even dental pain, dental issues. There's plenty of literature on that out there and the sensory processing. So maybe it's working with a nutritionist. Maybe it's working with a life coach or an executive function coach, a sensory processing specialist. Even poor language skills are linked to executive functioning impairment. So a lot of the issues that people on the autism spectrum deal with, I'm not saying are all rooted in executive function, but executive functioning impairments definitely or should be at the top of the list to consider as a, an intervention strategy. And to also really be aware of some of the red flag indicators of executive functioning problems in your child or adult who's on the autism spectrum. A couple red flag indicators, I think, just to be aware of. Chronic forgetfulness could be a red flag indicator. If that individual really struggles with completing a task or knowing when to start it, how to get going with it, the end point, goal planning deficits are at the core of executive functioning problems. Planning, organization, time management, even having lower levels of motivation have been linked to having lower levels of executive function. Being able to shift between topics, we know that people on the autism spectrum can get really fixated and rigid and almost compulsive-like and ruminate. There's plenty of research too that, sh that shows executive functioning impairments can exacerbate disorganized thinking, rumination, obsessive thinking, 
it can be a real struggle for managing stress. So people with really low levels of stress tolerance and who are highly irritable and can have a real difficult time shifting between topics, which is linked to executive function, which is called cognitive flexibility. When I give talks on this, I always refer to cognitive flexibility as kind of like our steering wheel in our car. Where can we steer around danger? Inhibitions are parking brake. Can we put on the brakes when we see something coming up? People with executive functioning impairments oftentimes struggle with all of these areas. So it's very important to work with providers who look through an executive function informed lens. And I think if you do that, I truly believe better outcomes can happen. I'm not saying it's going to make everything 100% better, but I do believe that it can make it significantly better if we use these approaches effectively. And we'll talk, I'll talk about some specific interventions today as well. And I appreciate the fact that you really emphasize the multidisciplinary team in this, because as you pointed out, and as we went through that process, whether it's learning how to engage with one's child, whether it's the sensory processing, whether it's the skill development piece, all of these need some guidance on how to get there and the path to be able to achieve those skills. But it requires also the team, like anything with the brain, to be able to practice it consistently, to be able to give opportunities on a regular basis so that, so that you have the chance to learn this new skill. So is that where early intervention becomes so important, is that you're able to get that practice effect built to be able to develop some of these executive functioning skills early? I, I do, absolutely. And I think rooting these approaches in like ABA or psychiatric rehabilitation, practicing, coaching, teaching, modeling, role-playing, video modeling, social stories, learning it in a group, but then also demonstrating it in the community at home, making sure it's reinforced by caregivers, the teachers, the skills workers. So it becomes almost repetitious like, but we want to make sure it creates adaptability too, where the person can learn how to adapt these responses. And that's easier said than done. Some people can really be more adaptable than others, but repetition is key. Taking into account their developmental and emotional age over their chronological age, because also often if you're working, let's say with someone who's 18 years of age chronologically, maybe they function as a 10 year old or a 12 year old or 15 year old. So whatever approach you use, making sure it's modified to their brain capacity and their social emotional capacity and just providing general education, I think, too, to all the professionals involved, because I've consulted on enough cases over the years when the person has so many different providers. And if they're not talking to one another and they're using different approaches and different lenses, that can become very confusing. And confusion can increase stress. Stress can impact all of these things we're talking about. So really working with that entire team and making sure that everyone understands the language, the lingo, the research, and the approaches and why it's so imperative to look through that executive function informed lens. And you actually, you, you briefly touched on right now, but I think it's important for us to go a little bit deeper in this is the team effect and how that actually plays into the implementation or generalizing these skills into new environments. So if we were to take a school-aged children, child, they went through the chance potentially in early intervention to start developing some skills, being exposed to other kids and starting the process of engagement and some planning. But entering into a new environment like school, I would imagine 
is that that takes a whole new team to a whole new level because now they have to organize their day. They have to start planning different parts. So how do you approach that child in when they're becoming a little bit more independent and when these skills start to change to the fact that you know, they need to be accountable for certain parts of their life slightly differently. How does that affect and what sort of process goes through your mind on how to build those skills? I think individualizing the approach because everyone on the autism spectrum has unique strengths and different weaknesses. So we want to make sure first and foremost, it's very tailored and individualized to that person. An executive function really plays a role in the development of all kinds of different processes and functioning domains. Theory of mind is one. So making sure whoever's working with that individual, incorporating maybe some theory of mind perspective taking skills that can help in that area. Emotional regulation is related to this as well. So all too often people on the spectrum struggle with emotional regulation problems. And if someone's dealing with executive dysfunction problems and you just take out autism out of the equation, it is not uncommon for that person to be dealing with emotional ability, which is just a fancy word of saying like kind of a roller coaster ride of emotions where the person might have like rapid mood changes. They could have uncontrollable laughing or crying at times that don't match up to the situation, which then could be very confusing to that group they're in or in the classroom. Irritability can be more common, more extreme impatience, or you might see inappropriate temper tantrums that don't match that person's age. So really take into account the emotional regulation piece. And then you throw in the social competence, the social skill domain. That's obviously a core issue in people with autism. So making sure there's a skills worker that understands social skill limitations. Maybe it's doing a group. I've been doing more and more reading and learning about Lego-based therapy, Lego-based interventions. That might be something to look into. There's actually some research on that with autism. But executive function also plays a role in consciousness and moral development and school readiness. So there's so many different facets at play, and it's so hard to say what area of functioning is going to be working better than others. So I think early intervention can only happen if you have a very good evaluation and assessment that can dig deep into these domains of functioning to find out which areas might be needing more focused attention on and then working with the team and not just having assessment and intervention kind of be a one time thing where you just review it once a year, but it's kind of a fluid process finding out what works what doesn't work, involving caregivers. How does this person function in a group setting versus one-on-one? -on -one? How do they function in a controlled setting versus an uncontrolled setting? How do they function at school versus at home? It is important to understand all of those complexities and nuances. And then if you understand that and work with the whole team, I think some better outcomes can really happen. Well, let's let's try and empower the parents right now. Let's talk about ways that they can incorporate some of this into their home. So you touched on the fact that for social awareness is that perspective perspective taking is key. Being able to read and understand the environment around you is really important for social decision making. So what can a family do at home to really enhance the use of visual cues? the opportunity for a child to start utilizing the environment to help them with decision making. Are there specific 
drills? Are there practice items that they could be working on in that in the home environment? Thought bubble training has been used. That would be something people could Google. I think it's very important to target a specific skill, but also identify realistic goals. Is the goal that you're setting realistic to that person's functioning capability, or is it just developed way too advanced where it almost sets the person up to fail? I think it's very, very important to, to establish priorities and timeframes. Maybe the person deals with sensory overload or has lower levels of processing speed, where if they hear too much information in a short amount of time, they may shut down. So really understanding processing speed when it comes to this as well. Taking time, taking more breaks, making sure you understand when that person has the most energy through the day. I've consulted on cases where the person is just very, very tired in the morning, and that's probably not the best time to teach an intervention. Some people are more tired in the afternoon. So really establishing those time frames and prioritizing things I think is very key. I think it's important to model the behaviors. Look for small changes. You might not see big changes overnight, but look for the small changes. Be okay with having to modify things. If you notice things aren't working properly, modify it. I think when we're talking about teaching perspective taking or just kind of that give and take relationship back, just having discussions, talking about things, sitting at the dinner table, making sure everyone's unplugged from technology, have a technology-free day. I think that's so important. I think maybe in some cases I've heard caregivers watch short videos with their child and then talk about what they saw, what they learned, broke it, break it down. Might be another kind of form of using social stories in a way. So those are just a few basic things to think of. And, and that's quite a list, actually. I mean, trying to be able to implement that into the home, it's, it's taking bite sizes at a time and really kind of being able to manage whatever it is that you're doing, just do that well for the time being, and then take on more as, as it progresses through there. But you're describing a, a situation where the parent could help to empower their child. Hopefully that child gets to the point where they can be their own self-advocate. They can start expressing to the world around them how to prepare them. Is that part of the whole executive functioning is knowing and being self-aware to say, hey, listen, I have a hard time with too many sensory inputs, or I need more time to process this. I'm aware that I need this. I'm gonna advocate for myself in these situations. Are these skills that are taught to uh, young adults, adolescents, as they start to develop some self-awareness? It should be, absolutely. I think self-awareness training is very helpful. Metacognition training would be something to look at. Metacognition, we didn't even talk about that today, but metacognition is the boss of the boss. So executive functions, the CEO of the brain, Metacognition is the boss of the CEO. Metacognition training is helping that person think about their own thinking, know about their own knowing, how they came to that decision. It really relates to problem solving and insight. If people Google metacognition training, you're gonna find some wonderful things on, on there. There's something called problem solving therapy. That could be something to look into. You can Google that. It just helps people learn how to problem solve more effectively. But I think what you're referring to as well probably falls under the umbrella of adaptive functioning. 
And I've seen this happen on a couple cases I've consulted on where the caregivers have the best intentions in mind. As that child on the autism spectrum gets older, becomes a teenager, graduates high school, and becomes 18, 19, and 20, the caregivers are still treating that individual like they're a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old and still reminding them to get up every day at the same time, doing this constant reminders where that person has almost become very dependent on that caregiver. So you got to be aware of that too. And it gets tricky because there's a fine balance between overdoing it for the individual and not doing enough. So I think definitely working with a team to determine what would be the best approach to that. And it's it's got to be really individualized. It's, it's so tough to know with each individual case. I've heard parents talk so often about how they initially create the bubble and then slowly start poking holes in it. And I think it is doing that the right way, creating the opportunity for potential failure, but experiencing the world around you in a safe way. And it's saying, okay, well, I think that you have this skill. I'm going to start opening up that part of the world so that you can start exploring it and being yourself and using everything that you worked so hard to achieve. Um, that's the goal of any treatment is that you, you are independent. You don't need the extra support and that you only lean on it when it's actually needed. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to just kind of revert the wheel a little bit here and go back to the beginning because it's nice to think of this as a linear process, but I'm sure it's not. I would imagine is that these foundational skills is that they represent different types of behaviors at different parts of life. So when somebody's talking about organizational skills, being able to plan and organize, how does that differ as you start to develop and start to become more integrated in society from youth to adolescence to adulthood? How does that morph itself? Does it just become more complicated? Well, it depends on the brain. It depends on the person. It depends on the environment. It depends too if if the person, again, maybe 16-year-old chronologically, but maybe they function as an eight-year-old. It's so individualized, but planning and organization and even time management, if there are deficits in those areas, that's a great red flag indicator that that person's probably dealing with some executive functioning impairments. Planning, time management, organization are a key component to goal-directed behaviors. But other components too, that really would fall under the umbrella of like goal-directed behaviors is the flexible thinking. If someone is always rigid and not flexible, they're probably less resilient. So think of cognitive inflexibility as a tree in a windstorm that isn't bendable. And a windstorm comes and that tree's not bendable or flexible, the branches are gonna break. If the person isn't action-orientated and they lack motivation, they lack initiative, they lack follow-through, these are things to look at as well. All so often, many of the cases I've consulted on, the individual really lacks forward-thinking abilities where they don't plan for the future. It's kind of almost a foreign concept for some, but again, everyone is so different. If they struggle with prioritizing things, that can get in the way of them accomplishing their goals. If that person has a real difficult time resisting distraction, 
where maybe you're trying to teach a goal or an intervention and they consistently become distracted and they can't stay focused, that's another red flag indicator, another target area for intervention. If that person can't manage stress or change or disappointment or uncertainty, those factors can really get in the way of that person being as successful as possible. And unfortunately, we know a lot of people on the autism spectrum really struggle in those areas. And all of these factors can really impact decision making as well. So again, looking at planning, organization, time management, as well as those other factors really, I would say, fall under the umbrella of goal-directed behaviors. And executive function really guides the bus with goal-directed behaviors. So just a few thoughts that come to my mind. And the whole process of developing all these skills, it, it does strike a little bit of fear is that, wow, if somebody doesn't develop executive functioning, is that they probably have a higher risk at uh, eventually potential mental health issues or you, like your background is brought up, criminal justice issues. But I'd like to also think is that there's a way to be able to empower people as long as we dedicate the time and prioritize this as a skill set that we're all working to help somebody to achieve. Do you have a, a wow moment of any anybody who's shared a story or that or who's come directly to you to give you their experience of somebody who maybe didn't have these skills initially, worked hard to start developing some of the abilities that are required for executive functioning and doing it well that changed their trajectory? Yeah, I, I mean, again, think of executive function really a spectrum and it can it can get better from day to day. There's many factors that can impact it from moment to moment as well. But a wow factor to me is I do a ton of work in the area of sleep disorders. And as I started digging more into sleep and executive function, there were a few cases I consulted on where after the person got a sleep study, found out they had obstructive sleep apnea, got on a CPAP machine, their executive function capabilities improve dramatically. So I highly encourage anyone who is working with someone on the autism spectrum to refer that individual to a sleep specialist with obviously caregivers permission and really rule out any sleep issues, but also rule out digestive health issues. Those would be two factors to really take into account that can really make executive function better or worse, depending on the situation at hand. And just being exhausted during the day can really impact executive functions. Managing fatigue and sleep and digestive health, I think are so, so important, especially for this population because the rates of those issues are so high among people with autism. And and Gerard, you've been you've been echoing the need for that multidisciplinary team to be able to really provide the appropriate treatment environment. Um, I'm also hearing is that this has to be a priority, no matter what angle you're looking at. Is that each of these practitioners should be evaluating how executive functioning fits into their treatment paradigm. You have the the ear right now of parents, of uh, educators, of uh, practitioners, clinicians. What would your advice be to them on how important this is in the overall scope of care? It drives the bus, I think. If you're not looking through a lens of executive function, things are probably missed. And I'll give you a couple more things to think about. If 
someone has lower levels of executive function, that can really exacerbate negative emotions, emotional outbursts, dysregulation. If you are working with people who have a really difficult time delaying gratification, putting the brakes on, having good self-control around spending money, around driving behaviors, around relationship behaviors, around their sleep patterns or what they drink, caffeine, tobacco, there's probably a good chance they're dealing with some level of executive functioning impairments. If you work with someone who has social skill deficits and you're not taking into account executive function, I think things are being missed. If that person has a real difficult time solving problems, coming up with solutions to things, understanding like abstract reasoning, like cause and effect relationships, planning for the future, understanding how and why questions, very important to dig deeper. Could there be some executive functioning impairments really driving the bus with that? If you have a person that consistently comes home from school and has a real difficult time completing work, not being able to follow through with a particular task, just chronic forgetfulness, those are some other red flag indicators to be aware of. Again, it might not be the only thing going on, obviously, but it should at least be screened for and assessed for and evaluated. And maybe it's it would warrant a referral to like a neuropsychologist where that individual could do a whole battery of uh, assessments and testing to find out which areas are truly working and which areas may have some limitations in as well. And then with that extra data, you can use that to make a more informed goal plan, treatment plan, intervention plan, school plan, case management plan, whatever it is. And I think for parents too, if you were to understand those things, maybe you could modify parenting practices a bit that really utilize executive function informed parenting practices as well. And could give a lot of ideas on that for another podcast if that's helpful. I think that's all such wonderful advice. And I appreciate the thoughtfulness that you have and really the dedication that you put in towards your research and towards your consulting and education um, to helping to promote some of these uh, adaptive behavior skill sets and ability to navigate the world and actually think through the process of being self-aware and understanding the world around you. Um, where can people reach out to learn more about what you're working on or to be able to potentially uh, be able to access some of the knowledge that you're sharing with the world? You're welcome to share my email with folks or people just Google my name. You should be able to find a ton of resources online. I do podcasts with various organizations, got quite a few videos on YouTube of with different organizations and feel free to email me. I can send you some recommended readings or resources as well. Well, thanks again for your time today, Jaron. I, I always feel like uh, we, we leave on a cliffhanger because there's so much more to always talk about. Um, but uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, and I appreciate you being able to join us again on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on again. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments 
and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.